0: let mm-hmm.
1: I started bringing pastors during the day, during the week in a public school to preach in the cafeteria. I made it voluntary, but it was so wonderful in there. No one wanted to stay in class, and they went there and the teachers started seeing that the gospel was doing something, had a, a Bible study, we had fellowship of Christian athletes working in the school, and we started contending with the main schools in test scores. Our student behavior was changed. All type of demographics started changing, so the gospel, yeah,
0: so I I really saw that as a mission field. Welcome to this edition of Mid South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler, pleasure friend to have you stop by as always. Today, we welcome Bishop Vincent Matthews, Jr., who's the senior pastor at Tabernacle Church of God in Christ in South Haven. Bishop, the last time we got together, you were on the phone. We both were on the phone. That's right. That's right. During COVID times, That's right. we were separate. That's yeah. correct. Isolation. That's right. That's right. Many churches, I understand, are still not at full capacity since the COVID outbreak. Are you back to normal participation in your congregation now? Well,
1: actually, we're seeing a revival right now of surges of all demographics, of generations coming to the church, and God is doing great things. We're taking advantage of uh, many of the negative things that are happening here and pushing back for So things are going very well, Byron. Thanks for asking.
0: When you yeah. say negative things, what specifically are you
1: referring to? Well, we've seen a spike in crime. We've seen a spike in the word isolation that you mentioned earlier. Yeah mental oppression, all of those things that the gospel has the answer for, we're really in your face saying, hey, you looking for the answers, your children, the, these things that are happening, come and find the answers in Christ and, and, and people are responding.
0: This is really a time for the church to... Be the church, right? Yes. Oh, come on, brother.
1: (laughs) You know, the scripture tells us since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. It is no time for us to be on the defensive. We must be on the offensive, pushing forward. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. Didn't he also
0: say that the gates of hell would not prevail? not
1: prevail. That's right. Right.
0: He's given us, what, all authority? That's right. Right? That's right. Why are we so wimpy?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, you sound like me preaching on this past Sunday. There are so many opportunities for the body of Christ. We are definitely, it is clear, we're in the last days. Even those who are not born again know that something is happening in the world. What we're able to do is say, yeah, we, we know something's happening. We know what's happening. This is predicted. We're not surprised. We're not surprised by totalitarianism. We're not surprised by what's happening in earthquakes in diverse places, all these things that are happening. We're not surprised by what's happening in neighborhoods. But one thing we know, there's hope that's behind that. And people are not only hearing the message of hope, but they're experiencing the hope of Christ, and it's an exciting time. So
0: You know, when we live through the gospel lens, yes. things look a whole lot different, don't that's they? That's right. That's <laughs> right. I'm actually excited. Hope we make this interview through. Yeah.
1: I'm looking to hear the trumpet at any time. Amen. But it's, it's a wonderful thing. You're right. When we see things from a, a true, from the worldview of our king and see it from the kingdom.
0: I love that, Pastor. Yeah. Well, one of the main reasons why you're here today is to talk about an event coming to Tabernacle Church. Yes sir. Kinham, who yeah. is with Answers in Genesis, he's coming to Tabernacle. Sunday, March 12th, with biblical truth and scientific proof that God created only one race.
1: Yes. What
0: better time for
1: this to happen? Now, we've been talking with BOT for a while uh, planning this event. This wasn't a knee-jerk experience, but it's a huge issue because especially what's happening in the Mid-South right now with what happened a few days ago with the police and things of that sort, there's a lot of talk and the enemy seeks to bring us apart. You're supposed to be different than me and the truth is you and I have more in common than people with my own DNA and my own family line because we have the blood of Christ running through us. Well
0: I love that you know I was looking this morning in Colossians 3 9 through 13 do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices Mm. and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge (laughs) after the image of its creator Yes, sir. here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian Scythian slave free, but Christ is all and in all put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Yeah. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So there's no room for racism when you read these verses here.
1: That's right. Anyone who claims to be a Christian and follow the teachings of Christ cannot find differences or supremacy or inferiority due to race because we are all one in Christ. That is so
0: true. Pastor, when I was looking at your biographical information, there's there's just so much we could talk about. I know we're going to continue to mention about the event with Ken Ham on March 12. That's yes, important. Sir. But I also want to talk about your background, your story. We shared some of this when we did the radio interview mm. via phone, but I want to bring our listeners up to date on the fact that you graduated from Wayne State University in Illinois, also from North Carolina College of Theology with a doctor of theology. You were a fellow at Fulbright while studying at African language, Swahili. Yes, sir. So are you fluent in Swahili?
1: Read, write, and speak Swahili. Yeah. And then God has a sense of humor, and I moved to South Africa where they have no idea about Swahili. Was it 2004 uh, that you moved to? I moved to South Africa in 2004. But uh, it was in the 90s that I, on a Fulbright, I had been studying Swahili for some time. And it was an immersion program.
0: What was the most challenging thing to learning this language? I think with the link with language is culture. Uh, while I am
1: black, growing up in America, you have a certain perspective on things. And so I think the Biggest challenge is understanding from a full African perspective the language and culture that goes with that.
0: Yeah, what anything that you learned about the culture. Having studied so intensely that stands out to you.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. When I first went to Tanzania, was in Tanzania, it was a beautiful thing. One thing is that no one is an island. So you don't say how are you, you say how are all of you and you say we are fine, not I am fine. So your perspective is not individualistic. It is yeah. my family and I, we are fine. <laughs> That's a total stranger. It's how are all of you? We are fine. Yeah. Wow. <laughs>
0: so, yeah. Quite different than the American number one individualistic society. We talk about community, but we really don't (laughs) promote community, do we? No, we don't. And so understanding that, that's that paradigm
1: shift. Everything is about the we. If I have a candy bar and I'm with you, it would be rude for me to eat that candy bar without breaking a piece and sharing with you. And I'll see children, five children, one candy bar, break a piece for each other. It is expected. They, They would break it equally and they'll all share it and be happy. My children now, because some of them were born in Africa, they were raised in Africa for some time before we come here. When they get a job, they bring money to their mother automatically. They bring money home because it's expected as an African to bring money home. And so I say, well, take it to your mother and still do whatever with it.
0: (laughs) And and speaking of children, you and Sharon, your wife, have have 11 11 children. Yes, sir. And what are their ages? Well,
1: my youngest now is 15. So I'm getting old now. The youngest (laughs) is 15. Oldest is 35. Okay. So right in that range, that's where we're We are, and God
0: has blessed us. You're talking about African traditions or customs. I remember hearing one story, I don't know if it's from Swahili custom or not, Mm -hmm. that when a man walks into a house, where his mother-in-law is, yeah. he is to stoop down and not stand taller than she is. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm not sure. I, I haven't been there. That's
1: a, that's a go. <laughs> I don't know if they made that up or not. Some mother-in-laws <laughs> yeah. got together. Maybe. Right. Mother-in-laws got together. But you know, the beautiful thing that I've learned, you know, talking about one race, you know, what you said could be inflammatory to many people. There are over 7,500 languages on the earth. There are over 8 billion people now on the earth. I think just last. Last year, we reached 8 billion mark. But there are really only two cultures, one race, two cultures. There's the culture of Christ. There's a culture of Satan. There's no in between. Either you're a Christ follower or you're a Satan follower. And that culture of Christ is one way. And unfortunately, there have been interlopers in society throughout history who've claimed to be Christian, but who really were not following the biblical things of Christ, which have misrepresented what a Christian is. But true Christians who are followers of Christ, there's
0: only two cultures. That is a good word, Pastor. You stepped into South Africa, as you mentioned, 2004, Mm -hmm. to be the director of world missions, as you were appointed, for the Churches of God in Christ, some 115 or 25 churches? No, 115
1: countries. Countries. Yeah, 12,000 churches here in the United States, and you can almost pretty much say close to 20,000 outside the United States.
0: Apartheid officially ended in 1994. Ten years had passed by the time you had arrived in South Africa with your family. Did you see or experience any residual effects of apartheid? During that time, was racism a thing of the past in South Africa? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry for laughing. (laughs) Um, Yes, for
1: sure. We saw residuals of apartheid in South Africa. When we arrived, our church where we were was in a township, a black township, where before it was by law, blacks had to live there and go into town to work. Later, it is by fact, de facto township. You saw... A lot of things. While they had a black president, black everything was black, but there still was disproportionate things that happened. But what I also what I found is this: yes, there were challenges with the white minority. The white the minorities in in South Africa is about eleven percent. Eleven percent of the population, kind of like what the black population would be here. Eleven percent owned a lot of land and wealth and things of that sort. But I also found that even with Everybody was black, everybody. I mean, the president, the money had a black man on it. There was still discrimination against each other. There was classism. That, that transcended color and ethnicity. And then there was ethnic strife based on what we were, many people call tribalism. So ethnic strife, this ethnicity doesn't like this ethnicity. It didn't matter the skin color at that point, which reinforced some previous apartheid laws which affected people still to that day. So, uh, yeah,
0: we it, it was complicated. Yes. Very complicated. complicated. And I think yeah. it's interesting to note as we look at world events like the Holocaust, for example, yes. and how as time goes, we forget the horrors and and right. really just how bad things were. at same as the apartheid. Apartheid translated from the Afrikaans, meaning apartness. Mm-hmm. It was the ideology supported by the National Party, That's the government right. that was introduced in South Africa back in 1948. And they kept adding these laws for right. time. And it got pretty crazy, as you mentioned. And on, on paper, it appeared to call for equal development and freedom of cultural expression. But the implementation of that was impossible. That is correct. Got, as you say, as men try to put these systems together. They made laws that forced different racial groups to live separately and develop separately. And it was grossly unequally, too. They tried to stop all intermarriage and social integration between racial groups. Even to have a friendship with someone of a different race brought you into suspicion. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, even amongst white people in South
1: Africa, there was no monolithic group. There were English-speaking and Afrikaans-speaking. And they were at odds with each other. Then you had colored, which were mixed people. Then you had Indian, and then you had black, and then there's different ethnicities with black, and you're right. You find that individuals get, find themselves in a tough spot. And so we were very intentional to have a multicultural church. And our church was multi—we had literally—there are 11 official languages in South Africa, 11 official languages. And then there are surrounding countries. There are people from those countries. We had 24 languages, mother tongue languages in our church, and language defines ethnicity. So we had 24 ethnic groups in our church on a Sunday. There was nothing like that church anywhere near us in a black township, including Afrikaans speaking individuals. And I continue to pound and emphasize that we are one people under the body of Christ set those ethnicities aside. And that's why this event with Ken Ham on March the 12th is yes. so important because we're too divided here. I mean, so we must see that we're, we're one in
0: Christ. Well, Pastor, why don't our churches reflect that here? I know there's some cultural and, and social differences in the mm-hmm. way we worship or taste and things like that. But if that's all true... Why don't we see more diversity? And we are starting to see in some congregations more diversity, but often the staff of the church doesn't reflect the diversity. <laughs> that's
1: right. Sin. That's why. <laughs> the sin <laughs> of man, the pride of man. And it's bad when the culture, when the, the, the world system Defines our perspective. Okay, before I get to the disciples, we go back to David when he was in the cave of Adullam, and you begin to list those men. They were from different nations, different cultures, different backgrounds. Uriah the Hittite, of course, didn't end well for him. But there were different individuals. They were from different places, but they came under the same banner to push forward Israel, and ultimately they became Jews. And they, they converted. Even see the disciples from different educational, different educational backgrounds, backgrounds of that sort. So we must even be political backgrounds, political backgrounds. Especially, yes, yeah, yeah. So we must have that diversity, intellectual diversity, ethnic diversity. Uh, I'm afraid to use the term gender, sex diversity. And In this day and time, they know what I'm saying. Yeah. So we must be. I don't think we have to have quotas like we see in the world and be intentional. We just must be led by the Holy Spirit oh. and, and, and allow the Holy Spirit. He will blend us
0: together in different ways. Yes. Oh, so. that's a great word. What was the racial tension like for you growing up in Michigan? You grew up outside of Detroit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm from Inkster, Michigan, right outside of Detroit, which was a black city that was uh, demarcated by uh, Henry Ford. Ford workers. So as Ford workers moved from the south to come there, my grandfather and grandmother from Texas. They moved there in the Great Migration. This area, the area we were at, it was called Black Bottom. So all this area was just black folks who came from the south. It was up south. And so that area, and then there was a Michigan Avenue. One side was black, one side was white, but mainly that city was for black folks. So I grew up in a segregated area, and I'm not that old, (laughs) segregated area. Then there were cities like, Detroit changed it was a white city but then it became a black city at some point and I went to high school there So it was 85% black so I didn't interact with white people too often as a matter of fact to tell the truth I hated white people To talk with you, Byron, oh, no, white people are like this. I hated white people because I felt that they were bad. They were racist. I I encountered some things by individuals, so it caused me to hate them. It is God that taught me through the gospel that, first of all, to hate kills us, but that's how I grew up. I hated white people. As a matter of fact, I went to a Catholic high school, St. Martin de Porres High School, which is um, the first black saint, by the way. St. Martin de Porres High School, which was run by some black folks and white folks. It was a white Catholic man that made me even more racist I hate white people. He, he gave me the autobiography of Malcolm X and I was just like, oh, the white man is the devil. The white men are bad people and this type of thing. They they only think we're inferior. I then went to university, as you said, Wayne State University is where I first went to school. I went to play football. So I was a football player, had a chip on my shoulder so I would fight intellectually in classes because it was primarily white university to show how, that I'm not dumb, I'm smart, so I overread and I'm fighting, but then the Lord broke me down and taught me love and taught me how to understand the primacy that we are one people and we're one people. And I've got some of the greatest people I've met in my life. And when I went to the University of Illinois later, I went to the University of Illinois in the grad school, God transitioned me in great ways. I'm so glad for Jesus that saved me.
0: Your father was a pastor. Yes, Uh, sir. What example did your father live out when it came to treatment of people, no matter their skin color?
1: I thought he was weak. Uh, because he was kind and loving. Now, I watched him he worked for a a factory that was a supplier to the big three. So they made wheels that went to the main factories. This is when America was America. So anyway, (laughs) they didn't ship everything out to other countries. So he worked for a factory and he constantly was looking for promotions. But there was every time he looked for a promotion, the, the, the standards would change. And so he had to study for tests that others didn't have to take and do all kinds of things. And I just said, why don't you just turn the tables over and just go off on these people. But he worked hard to fight to help us with. And I thought he was weak and soft. But my father was born again. He was saved. My grandfather was born again and saved. So I thought they were weak and I thought they were not strong and radical enough. And They needed to be more militant. They taught me how to be a real man and a real man of God. My father, his evangelism, he's an evangelist. As a pastor, He's an evangelist. And he would have a Bible study at his job because most of our pastors in our denomination are bivocational. Yeah. So he he worked during the day there and he worked in his blues and whatever. And he would wash up and put on a suit and come out and then go evangelizing. And he evangelized the white guys at his job, the black guys at his job. And I was like, what are you doing with these people? They're irredeemable. <laughs> he's like, this is a good man. This is a good man and they would bring them to our house sometimes. That's when I got to meet People that were different, but I still, my heart was hardened because of what I, I guess indoctrination or whatever. But my, my father, my father's a good man, and I would focus on the difficulties and hardships that he had. But the gospel
0: transcends those things. Oh, pastor, that's another great word. But you too, in one time, were a, a bivocational in ministry, weren't you? You had mm-hmm. educational and consulting yes, sir. before
1: you went into. How full do time. you know so much about me, man? You're I, good. Just a little bit <laughs> <of rain.
0: laughs>
1: yes, sir. I, I, I wasn't for time in ministry until I moved to South Africa. So I was doing educational consulting. At first, by the way, I was a teacher for some time, taught in high school, then did educational consulting, then later I was a director of a alternative middle school.
0: Yeah, that was called the Detroit Lions Academy. Man, come on. And this was sponsored by the Detroit Lions the, football yes, sir, team, NFL team. By the
1: Detroit Lions, Costco, and Ford Motor Company. Ironically, it was unique. We had Detroit Lions players come into our school all the time. I'm still a Lions fan. Everyone laughs, laughs at me, but it's okay. <laughs> we're going to make it. Yeah. Being by vocation, I think that's a good term because our vocation, it is ministry wherever we're serving. So I recognized wherever I was working was my mission field, was my place to serve. Can I tell you a secret? I was leading a public school that was funded by the Lions or whatever. I had Bible study during the day. I brought in preachers regularly because we had children. It's an alternative middle school where we would take children that were in the middle school, seventh grade. 16, 17 years old, reading at a first grade level, had assaulted teachers somewhere else in the district and they sent them to us. Sometimes we would get them out of juvenile in handcuffs and then they would unleash them and then they would say, here they are, they're yours. I got this job and I recognized not by might nor by power, it got to be by the spirit of God. Public school, I started praying with children. I started giving them incentives to go to church. They went to the union on me. They wanted to get me fired. And then I put out Harvard studies and all these that say, If a child goes to four worship services a month, they're 70% less likely to be involved in antisocial behavior. So we gave incentives and it it changed the behavior. I started bringing pastors during the day, during the week in a public school to preach in a cafeteria. I made it voluntary but it was so wonderful in there. No one wanted to stay in class and they went there and the teachers started seeing that the gospel was doing something had a a Bible study, we had fellowship of Christian athletes working in the school and we started contending with the main schools in test scores, our student behavior was changed, all type of demographics started changing so the gospel so I really saw that as a mission It's funny you brought it up because I don't talk about it a lot, but it was really a mission. That school is still there, but I'll tell you, we had a great time preaching Jesus, and many of those students came to Christ. Many of them were criminals, all kinds of things. They reach out to me to this day and say, my life has changed because of that school, in a public school.
0: (laughs) Pastor, if we could replicate that across America, Mm -hmm. you know, as we look at the issues. The
1: educators just have to be bold because it's within our constitutional right to do many of those things. As long as it's voluntary, sometimes after school, before school, or during school, it takes what you said earlier to be bold because when they were taking me to the union and other things, I was able to stand on my rights. How can you tell children to go to church on Sunday? And I pull out the studies. It was Harvard, Yale, and they continue to have these same studies to show if a child goes to a worship center, now they'll say a church, a mosque, a synagogue, and I told them, bring a bulletin from the church and we would give you a bag of chips every Monday. And I get a line of children that come show bulletins and then they didn't know what churches to go to. So I kind of rigged it. I talked to pastors and said, I'm sending some kids there. They're not church. They're going to come in dread funny. Don't bother them. Let them come. And then I would send them to those churches
0: you <laughs> And God did great things. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. (laughs) You had a system going. We
1: had a whole system, a whole system in a public
0: school. Oh, we need that. Yes, sir. Well, let's remind our listeners now that Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis is coming to Tabernacle Church in South Haven, where Pastor Vincent is the pastor and senior pastor on Sunday, March 12th, with biblical truth and scientific proof that God created only one race. Yes. Now, Ken will be sharing in both 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. services, and you need to go to Answers AnswersOutreach.org/southhaven. slash South Haven, the number 23 for details. Now, there's no cost to these sessions. This is free, mm-hmm. right? That's and right. it's not inclusive to the family at Tabernacle. This is community-wide. We're asking everybody, all of our listeners, you're welcome to come. Byron, let me tell you what's been happening, and
1: all of this is the providence of God. So this year, even before this year, we've been very active working with our police department in South Haven, especially because that's where we are. So we've been engaging the police. As a matter of fact, we're launching uh, many chaplains that will be riding with the police. So we, I've been really emphasizing two things in the church, the importance of us bridging gaps with working with law enforcement and with race and dealing with issues of race, because these issues of race have been used as a tool of the enemy to divide the body of Christ and not put us together. So bringing Ken Ham is so important. And we took a trip last year to the Ark and. California. because Ken Ham is the founder and creator of the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum. We took a bus, had a whole bus, and went there, spent two days there at the museum. So people in our church are familiar. But now we're back, and now the opportunity to partner with BOT and with Tabernacle, it is a gift to the region that we can come together as the body of Christ, because here are these false narratives, white evangelicals versus black religion, whatever it might be. And then you hear this liberalism versus conservatism and liberalism, really, that's not Christianity. All of these labels, you're either biblical or you're not. And if you're biblical, what does it mean? Jesus is not colorblind. God is not colorblind. He celebrates our diversity of color. That's why every tribe, every nation, every people, every language is going to go to heaven. He makes sure that we recognize. I know that there are different languages, different ethnicities, different tribes, different nations. I know there are different nationalities. They all have a right to be in heaven and reign with me forever. He recognizes that if we can get people to understand that there's so many people who are frustrated, angry, depressed, because they don't have the fundamentals right. They don't understand the beauty of humanity, the dominion that we got in Genesis one twenty six. that dominion didn't go to white people or to black people, it came to humans who fall under the body of Christ. And so I'm excited about March the 12th because I pray that this will be a epicenter seismic shift in this region that we can work together yes. cross denominationally cross ethnicity cross regionally that we can say hey let's work together and I pray out of that won't be some superficial you know let me preach at your church one day and you preach at my church one day that gets old after a while that's and that's okay that's okay but something more substantial that we can bind together as the body of Christ and push forward in this region
0: a movement yes like you mentioned and a movement that is led by the Holy Spirit, God who is not a respecter of persons. He created us all. That's right. One race, the human race. The human race. God bless you, Pastor. Thank My you brother. so much for thank coming. You so I love much. you, man. I love you too. <laughs> it's
1: somehow every time we talk, it's just, you know, I don't want to end the conversation. Time's our enemy, right? Time is
0: our enemy, but we'll have time when we get offline. You're going to have to come back. Okay. And we'll continue to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> no, it sounds like whatever
1: you want to talk about. You're good at that. Yeah. You always throw it. They're not curveballs. It's just different. It's, it's wonderful. I just
0: enjoy talking to you. Thank you, you, you so much. Thank you so much. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Don't forget now, Sunday, March 12th, Ken Ham at Tabernacle Church in South Haven. The address to the church pastor.
1: 7701-US51, South Haven, Mississippi,
0: 38671. Mark it down, friend, on Sunday, March 12th, you can go to answersoutreach.org slash Southhaven, the number 23, and get more details. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.